Patricia Scotland is the Commonwealth Secretary General, the first woman to hold the post and the second Secretary General from the Caribbean. And she joins me now. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. It's a great privilege and pleasure to be able to speak to Canadians at this sad moment. Indeed. Uh, you had a, a quite a, a, a quite a nice relationship with the Queen and you paid a very nice you made a very nice tribute to her uh, in the last week. Tell me a bit about that relationship that you had and how it's impacted how you felt this past week. Well, I think she was the most extraordinary woman. I mean, for all of us, she has been in our lives ever. If you're if you're less than 96, you will have had experience of the queen first as a princess during the war, then when she became uh, uh, very interested in the Commonwealth at 21, then at 25, when she became our queen. And the amazing thing about Queen Elizabeth II is she isn't just um, the queen of the United Kingdom and the queen of her realms. She literally is the queen of the world. If you ask anyone anywhere who is the queen, everyone says Elizabeth II. Now, there's so many queens in the world, but for everyone, for Americans, for Canadians, for, for people who had nothing to do, all of them, are affected by her and she was really committed to doing good in our world if you remember way back in 1953 sort of the year after she became queen there was a whole issue of how she saw our commonwealth and i'll never forget what she said when she was 21 she said whether my life will be long or short i will use every day of it for your service. And subsequently she said, she might have said that in her salad days, but she never regretted it. Then in 1953, now you remember in 1949, the eight countries who had struggled for independence from the UK, wanted very much to stay as part of our Commonwealth family. And so this new concept of Commonwealth was created. And she said, this is a totally new concept, nothing to do with empire. This is about a free and joint partnership, equal partnership, she called it, between nations and races. Now, nobody was talking about partnership between nations and races in 1953. You remember, we still had apartheid in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, which was then Rhodesia. We had apartheid effectively in the southern states of America. And here she was extolling this new vision of justice and peace and harmony. And she said it was the highest and finest elements of uh, man. And so her faith in us as a global community, her faith in goodness was something that we benefited from for so many years. And I was first privileged to meet her uh, at lunch after I'd become a, uh, one of her counsel, learned in the law, I became a Queen's counsel at the age of 35. And um, she wanted uh, to meet me to my utter surprise. And there I was at lunch um, with a small section of people. I think I, um, Helena Bonham Carter and I were the only two women at that um, lunch other than her. And she was just delightful. And every time I saw her and was privileged to um, meet with her, and I was appointed um, one of Her Majesty's 
commissioners. Um, I, I was on the Millennium Commission. I was on the uh, Diamond uh, Jubilee Commission. And all of those times, she was just amazing. Um, and I think she was an exemplar for most of us, actually, as to what duty and faith and service should look like. So I think I was extraordinarily lucky to have been her Secretary General, her last Secretary General, because, of course, I'm the sixth and she had a very good relationship, I think, with all of them. You'll be speaking at the funeral tomorrow. Speaking of, of honours, um... Tell me about that. What what uh, what is your role, and and I can't imagine how one would prepare for it. It's an enormous honour because um, I think it's been disclosed in the papers, so I could probably say this. I have been asked to read uh, one of the lessons at the service, and there are two readers. One is the prime minister and um, Liz uh, Truss, and the other uh, is myself. And so that is uh, a humbling honor and I was incredibly honored because um, after His Majesty the King had had his formal meetings with the Prime Minister and the leader of the opposition, I was actually frankly stunned that the first person he wanted to see and asked to see on Sunday at um, two o'clock as the first audience uh, as the King um, was that he wanted to see me, and I was incredibly honoured and touched that um, I was able to see him. But we have worked together in our various, my various different hats uh, for probably, um, what, almost 30 years. And during that time, of course, I had the privilege and pleasure of working with His Royal Highness. He's done so much in relation to the Prince's Trust, um, and in relation to uh, climate change and so many other issues. And of course, uh, it was a delight to be able to work with him through those years. And he has been remarkable. Just as the Queen, he has been very devoted, not only to the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland, but he has been particularly devoted to our Commonwealth. And I think he said that the Commonwealth was one of the foundations of his life. And it's quite clear that he, like Prince Philip, who had said he would suffer quite a bit for the Commonwealth, it was worth suffering, it was worth the commitment. I think he has committed himself so fully to our family for all those years, for more than 50 years. And I wasn't surprised at all that when the Commonwealth heads met in 2018, and there was a debate as to who should next be uh, the head of the Commonwealth. And it was clear that a number of countries were wanting not to look at the monarchy as a hereditary position to automatically become head of the Commonwealth, but they looked at the then Prince Charles and they were clear that because of his commitment, because of the wonderful work that he'd done for the last 50 years, that they were wanting him personally to be head of the Commonwealth. So this perhaps is the only position that he will ever have been elected to as opposed to inherited from as a result of his birth. So I think 
there is such warmth and appreciation for all those years of devotion. And I think none of us can think of a better successor to Her Majesty because Her Majesty was, of course, the constitutional monarch and the head uh, of state of a number of her countries, certainly her realms. But I think she stole people's hearts because of the way she loved our Commonwealth. And it's such a delight and a privilege to have watched that same commitment, that same love and affection coming from uh, now His Majesty Charles III. And so I think we're very lucky. Tell me a bit about Canada's role in all this. Clearly we talk about the Commonwealth, the Commonwealth Games have just taken place. Um, what is Canada's role, do you, do you think? in well, preserving the strength of the Commonwealth, even with its great champion, Her Royal Highness, now passed? Well, I think um, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, UK, uh, they were the cornerstone of the Commonwealth's um, position. And these leading countries have made huge contributions, not just in financial terms, but in terms of supporting the whole ethos between uh, and about and around the Commonwealth. We, we are about justice and peace, we're about equality, we're about democracy, we're about freedom, we're about equality. And those principles have been found fundamental to all of our member states, but particularly in support of um, what Canada believes in. And we will never forget that it was uh, Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, when he was uh, prime minister, who was instrumental in setting up the Commonwealth Financial and Technical Assistance Fund, because what he saw was that there was a wealth of ingenuity, expertise, and wisdom in our Commonwealth. But there was also a, a level of disparity in terms of assets that were available to each of our member states. And you will know that of the 56 countries in our Commonwealth, that's about 2.5 billion people, 60% uh, of whom are under the age of 30. So we're talking about our family now being a third of the world. We have um, now 34 small states, 25 um, island states, 14 of the least developed states in the world. And that this opportunity was there for us to help each other, to actually respond as a family, to support each other by giving each other technical assistance. And that uh, Commonwealth fund was of fundamental importance, particularly to the small and the developing countries. And without um, uh, Justin Trudeau, your prime minister's father's action, we wouldn't have that fund. And of course, we are terribly grateful for Canada's uh, contribution and participation, particularly at this time when we're looking at equality of women. Uh, women have been a, a major driver for change and uh, uh, Canada's commitment to equality in terms of uh, making sure that women have a proper say and participate has been incredibly encouraging. So you'll know that the Commonwealth launched 
Commonwealth says no more to domestic violence. And that is an issue which affects one in three women in our world. If this was anything else that was killing and injuring one in three human beings in the world, we'd all be up in arms. If it was one in three men in the world, I'm sure there would be a very different response. So the fact that the Commonwealth has always taken gender equality desperately seriously, if you look back at our communiques, it's been there for a very long time, that we are making commitments together as a Commonwealth family to make that difference is incredibly important. I'm very proud that Canada has been one of those who has been most vociferous in the issue of um, gender equality. As a very last question, um, tell me what would be going through your mind tomorrow when you read, I mean, it's, it'll be you, uh, a woman leader of the Commonwealth, it'll be Liz Truss, the new woman leader of the UK, paying tribute to the longest serving monarch in British history, a queen. What will be going through your mind? And you must be nervous. The Queen, Her Majesty, was someone I deeply, deeply respected and also had huge affection for. There were so many moments in my life, moments uh, during the time when I was Secretary General, when there were tough times. And she was so incredibly kind to me. I remember on one occasion, I got a message to say, uh, Her Majesty was wondering whether you were going to Ascot and whether you might be free to come for tea. And I thought that was incredibly kind. And she knew that I was having quite a tough time. So I thought I might be going, you know, to 200 people having tea. And it wasn't. It was just Her Majesty, uh, Prince Philip, one of her grandsons, and me. And she just wanted to cheer me up and to make me understand that, you know, she thought I was doing a good job and that I should just continue. I remember having a conversation with her once and expressing uh, some of the challenges. And she said, well, Secretary General, I think you're doing rather a good job. So if I were you, I would just carry on. And so that's what I did. I just carried on. So it, it will be actually a really tough thing to do because um, I will be speaking in the Abbey and some will say, well, that's something I've done before, but I've never done anything like this. I will get to speak the lesson while she is present and be part of celebrating her life before she is put finally to rest. And frankly, that's heartbreaking. Patricia Scotland, I wish you the very, very best of luck tomorrow. We'll be watching, I'll be thinking of you as you're standing there and speaking and our conversation, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And please say a prayer for me because I think I'm gonna need it. <laughs> Will do. Thank you again. Thank you.